You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. This Bible reading is from Romans 8, um, 1 to 17. So there's Bibles in the pews in front of you, or you can follow on your app or whatever. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have no obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the spirit you have put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Uh, Good evening, everyone. My name's Tim. I'm the senior minister here at St. John's, and it's great to see you all, especially all those who've been on Camp Crave this weekend. Hope it's been a great time. Uh, We're going to have a look at that Bible passage uh, that Lenny just read to us. Uh, It's a pretty complicated passage, 
but we're going to unpack it together uh, and talk through what it's all about. We're in the middle of a series uh, that we've been doing all through term, and we're thinking about what it means to be human. How do we understand our identity? How do we understand who we are? And we've been looking at what the Bible has to say in terms of understanding ourself and our own identity. We've looked at the fact that uh, we're created by God, that God makes everything in the world, including human beings. So we stand in a relationship to a, a creator God who loves us and who has formed us with his own hands for a relationship with himself. We've talked about the fact that God makes human beings in his image. That is, he makes us to reflect his character and he puts us in the world to look after the world, to care for the creation. That's a key role for human beings. He's made us as whole beings. So we've got emotions and we've got thoughts and conscience and will and we've got bodies and all of this is beautifully integrated as God has put us together as human beings. We've also seen that as well as this goodness that God has created in us, as human beings there's also a brokenness that exists within us because we've rejected God and we don't always live God's way. The Bible calls that sin, which is not just about bad stuff that we might do, but it's fundamentally about saying to God who is our creator, nah, I'm not going to do things your way, I'm going to do things my own way. So sin is about a rejection of God's good rule, which leads to damaging behaviour and unhelpful things that we might do, which is out of step with the way that God has made us to be. So there's a brokenness about humanity. People do evil things. And if we acknowledge in our own lives, we often disappoint ourselves in terms of the way that we live, the way that we treat other people, and the way that we treat the world that God has put us in. Uh, last week, we looked at what Jesus had to say about the fact that we are actually enslaved to sin. So if we do the wrong thing, it's like we're, we're stuck in this pattern that we can't get out of. We're enslaved to sin. So there's this tension within us as human beings, and you probably feel this and experience this for yourself, that there is so much good that we can do and we do, but at other times we make mistakes and we stuff things up and we hurt people and we even do things which are damaging to ourselves and we live with this tension. Now that is true for every single human being everywhere in the world, no matter what race you are, nationality you are, whether you're young or old, uh, a man or a woman, whatever you are, all of that that we've looked at and all that I've just described is actually true for every human being. That at the one time we are created good in the image of God and whole and we're also broken and fallen and enslaved to sin. What we're going to start looking at today and also pick up uh, next week as well, is to think about what difference does it make to be a Christian? So if I'm trying to understand my identity, who I am, a self-understanding, what difference does it make if I'm someone who is a follower of Jesus? How does that change my identity? How does that change my sense of self? And what we're going to see today is it makes a massive difference. Uh, you might be here tonight and you might be still investigating uh, what Christianity is all about. Um, what I want to, us to see today is that this, 
This makes a massive difference. And I want you to consider Jesus and your relationship with Jesus. For those of us who would describe ourselves as already followers of Jesus, I want us to think about how much do I actually work out my identity in relationship to Jesus. And so we're going to unpack a little bit about what it means to be in Christ. That's the language that is used in this passage. Uh, Romans chapter 8, if you've got it there, it's on page uh, 916 in your Bibles. It can be helpful just to follow along because you can check what I'm saying uh, and check that what I'm saying is actually what's in the Bible. We believe that the Bible's God's word and so we want to be checking uh, everything that's there as we look at it. Uh, And this kind of jumps in about halfway through this letter that Paul, a follower of Jesus, has been writing. And he's been building his arguments all the way up to this point. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that is a stunning statement that he makes there. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we've been around church for a little while, we can sort of take for granted that sort of statement. But it's a remarkable thing to say. I mean, if you knew the truth about my life, like seriously, if you had seen uh, into my life, you knew the sorts of thoughts that I have thunk, um, if you knew the sorts of words that I had spoken, if you knew the ways that I had treated people, people who are made in God's image and precious to God, and you'd seen the way that I'd treated them in relationships, uh, seen the stuff that I'd done in my life, you would say, how, how can God say to this guy, there is no condemnation? Because the sorts of things that I have done through my life, you know, if, if God is a just and fair God, then he should condemn the stuff that I've done. How can it be said that there is no condemnation? And everything that I've just been saying about the brokenness of humanity, that you know, sin affects everyone throughout the whole world, and sin goes deep into our hearts. It impacts every aspect of our human nature. Right? There's no part of me that sin doesn't touch. And if, you know, as Jesus says, we're enslaved to sin, the wrong things that we do trap us and enslave us, how can Paul say that there is no condemnation? For those who are in Christ Jesus, right? God, if, if God judged me, he should actually punish the wrong things that I've done. It's only fair um, I should stand before God and have to explain the things that I've done and face condemnation from God. And yet Paul writes really confidently here that there's, there's no condemnation. How can this be? Well, verse 2. Because... Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. So Paul starts here by talking about the law, and he's talking about the Old Testament law. He's talking about the rules that God gives in the first part of the Bible, things like the Ten Commandments and other rules that he gives. And he says that that law, that list of rules to show us how to live, is powerless. 
What he's saying is, he's not saying that the law is bad. It's good. They're good rules that God has given us. But it's powerless because we're unable to keep them. So God can give me a list of rules and say, this is the way that I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. But the trouble is I can't do it. Try as I might to keep God's good rules, I keep failing. The sin in my life means that I keep sort of veering away from the good life that God would have me live and veering away from the good rules that God has made and I disobey them and do my own thing. I use this illustration of like a a lawn bowl, which is trying to go straight, but lawn bowls have this weight in them, this bias, which means they veer away. And we kind of do that as human beings. We veer away from the good rules that God has put in place for us and we do our own thing. And so the law's powerless because I can't do it. Even though it's good, I fail to do it. I need someone to help me. I need someone to rescue me rather than just to try and keep a bunch of rules. And so what God does is God enters the world himself. God comes down into the world in order to rescue humanity, in order to rescue you and me. He does it by sending his son as a human being, Jesus Christ, to come into the world. Now, notice how carefully verse 3 is worded. It says there that God sends his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, he doesn't say that Jesus comes in the likeness of flesh, as if Jesus was somehow this fake human who looked a bit like us, but he wasn't really a human being. He was just in the likeness of flesh, the likeness of a body. And it also doesn't say that Jesus came as sinful flesh, because Jesus didn't actually ever do sin or do anything wrong. So it's very carefully phrases that God himself comes as a human being, Jesus Christ, and he is fully human. He is like us in every single way except for one thing, that he never sins, he never does wrong. He perfectly keeps God's laws. He perfectly lives in relationship with God his Father He perfectly loves people. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he treats people with dignity and respect. He heals people and he helps them. He restores people to the fullness of life. And he lives well as a human being in the creation that God has made. So he is fully human, living amongst us, but he is able to do what no other human being has been able to do, and that is to live the perfect life without sin. A couple of verses in the book of Hebrews that help us to see who Jesus is as both fully God, but also fully human who has come to save us. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says of Jesus that he is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, that Jesus is fully 100% God as he comes down and lives amongst us. But he's also 
fully 100% human as well. So in Hebrews 2 verse 17, it says, Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters, that is, human beings like us, in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. If Jesus is going to rescue humanity, if Jesus is going to rescue you and rescue me, then he has to take the fullness of humanity to himself in order to rescue us. He has a human mind. He has a human will, uh, a conscience. He lives in a human body. He has emotions. And he lives fully as one of us, amongst us, and yet... He shows us the way that God wants humans to live. He lives the perfect life uh, in our place, doing exactly what we were supposed to do. But he's more than just an example to us. If we just had God come and live as a human being amongst us and show the perfect way to live, well, we'd still have to copy him, wouldn't we? And we'd still be in that situation where we would fail and we'd try to be like him, but we wouldn't quite accomplish it. But Jesus is not just a model for what a human being is supposed to do. He also rescues us and deals with our sin at the same time. So the language there again in verse 3 speaks about the fact that Jesus condemns sin in the flesh. What does that phrase mean when it says that uh, God condemned sin in the flesh? It's speaking about Jesus Flesh, that as Jesus comes and lives amongst us as a human being, he then goes to the cross, and on the cross he deals with our sin. That as he takes our sin upon himself on the cross, our sin is condemned in the flesh, namely in Jesus' flesh, because he takes it on himself, he faces God's judgment, he faces God's anger against sin, And he deals with it on our behalf. God condemns sin in Jesus so that it doesn't have to be condemned in us. That is why Paul can write so confidently that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now notice that it's only those who are in Christ Jesus who receive the benefits that he's won for us. It's a funny expression, isn't it? In Christ Jesus. Um, If you're a follower of Jesus here today, I don't know how you tend to describe yourself as a Christian. Uh, Maybe you say, I'm a Christian. Maybe you say, I follow Jesus. Some people say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, or Jesus has saved me or rescued me. We use heaps of phrases sort of to talk about our relationship with Jesus. And everything that I've just said there, they're good things to describe ourselves and they're they're all in the Bible. But that little phrase, in Christ, comes up even more often in the Bible and yet it's not one that we tend to use to speak about ourselves. Do you ever say, yeah, I'm in Christ? Kind of sounds a bit weird to say. And we don't use it because we can't quite picture what does it actually mean. I know what it means to follow Jesus It's kind of walking in Jesus' way. But what does it actually mean to be in Christ? 
It's really powerful language which talks about being so close to Jesus, so united with Jesus that we're kind of in him. The best picture I can come up with, if this hope this works, is like one of those Russian dolls, the babushka dolls. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you take the top off one and there's another doll inside it and you open that one and there's another one inside it. You know, you know those Russian dolls? It's like we're one of the little dolls inside the big doll that is Jesus being in Christ. And if you think about the Russian doll, if you take the Russian doll out and about, you know, you go to the movies with the Russian doll, you play golf with the Russian doll, okay, everything that you do with the, the big Russian doll, you also do with the, the little ones inside it, okay? Weird illustration, I know, I'm just trying to get something that works. The same is true of us and Jesus. Everything that Jesus does, everything that Jesus achieves, the victory he wins, the dealing with sin, the rising again and giving new life, everything Jesus wins and does is true for those who are in Christ. He does it, and therefore we get it because we have done it with him if we are in Christ. If we unite ourselves to Jesus, we put our trust in Jesus and say, yes, then that means we are in him and everything he does works for us and is given to us as a free gift. That explains for us, if you think about it like that, why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where's the safest place to be if you're in a bushfire? Somewhere else. Somewhere else. Or somewhere where the fire has already burnt. The CFA backburns before the fire season because if you burn the fuel load... There's nothing left to burn. God's judgment on sin, God's dealing with sin, his anger against wrong, has burned in one place. It has been condemned in Jesus. As Jesus hung on the cross, God poured out his anger and judgment on Jesus and on the sin that Jesus took on himself. So the only safe place to be is where God's judgment has already burnt, in Christ. If we are in him and united with him, then there is no condemnation, there is no judgment, because it's been dealt with in that place. It is a perfect safe place and the only safe place, because it's the only place that sin has been condemned in the flesh of Jesus. What difference does it make being a Christian? It makes all the difference in the world. Being united in Jesus is the only safe place where we don't have to face God's judgment against our sin because Jesus has dealt with it for us. Now, that's kind of a negative way of speaking about the benefits that come from being a Christian, that we're not condemned. It's an amazing privilege that we have. But there's also positive ways 
of speaking about the benefits that God gives to us in this passage. Uh, One of them which speaks about being a child of God, being a son or daughter of God, is so big and so amazing that we're going to deal with that next week. That's just huge. Julie's going to talk about that next week. But this passage also talks about the fact that God gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can live God's way as well. See, the purpose of God dealing with sin in Jesus to offer us forgiveness isn't just so that, well, that's the end, you've been forgiven, carry on living however you want to live. No, that's the start. God deals with sin in Jesus and gives us forgiveness and that we're not condemned so that we can then get on with living life the best way and the right way, living how we were supposed to live as human beings all along, following after the pattern of Jesus. The reason that we don't face condemnation, verse 4, is in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God fills us with his Holy Spirit when we start to follow Jesus so that we can live life differently, so that we can get on living life the way that Jesus wants us to live, following God's commandments rightly, living an authentic and right human life, loving people, even our enemies, Jesus says, just like Jesus was able to do. It's a radical new way of life, and you can only do it if you've got God's Spirit working in you. And it's described in this passage as the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that powerful Holy Spirit that was able to bring Jesus back to life, is at work in you if you're a follower of Jesus, to help you live life differently. Getting God's spirit is the starting point of a whole new wonderful way of life where God starts working in us deeply and richly and beautifully to transform our life and to change us from the inside to make us more the people that he wanted us to be all along. Uh, These verses here uh, from verse 5 to verse 8 sort of speak about the impact of the Holy Spirit in terms of the, the transformation that it brings within us. It speaks about our minds being changed, so our thoughts, which are often uh, opposed to God and not right thinking, God starts to change them by his Holy Spirit. And elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about having the mind of Jesus, that we start to think like Jesus. Um, we've talked before about the fact that because of sin, our conscience that alarm system that's supposed to trigger when we're doing the wrong thing and tell us we've done wrong doesn't always work. But God's Holy Spirit starts to change that so that we get alert to the way that we're living. If we're not doing the right thing, it starts to go off again. Uh, We had a lady at church a few years ago. She was in her 80s. She'd never been to church in her life, and a friend brought her along. And she started to hear about Jesus, and God's Spirit started to work in her life. And she was in this retirement village... And she she bowled up to the front desk one day with a pile of toilet paper in her hand and she dumped it on the counter. The lady's like, what are you doing with all this toilet paper? She said, well, I've been stealing that toilet paper from the supplies cupboard, but I really feel like I've been doing the wrong thing, so here, I'm giving it back. Um, Now, that kind of sounds weird, but that was God's spirit starting to say, you know, Nicking that stuff, even though it's toilet paper, is probably not the right thing to do. And so she fessed up because it was that work of transformation. 
that God's Spirit starts to work in us. God's Spirit starts to change our wills, that rather than wanting to be rebels against God's rules, we start, as it says in verse 7, to be willing to submit to God's law, obeying what God has told us to do, his commands. And he also starts to transform our passions, right? So rather than following our own desires that are just about serving ourselves, we start to get inspired and motivated for the things of God and being willing to take real risks and to follow God's passion in our lives and serve him. It's just this rich work that the Holy Spirit starts to do in all of us. It doesn't happen straight away. We're all a work in progress. But it's this progressive change that God's Spirit works in us. He deals with our sin, but then he wants us to go out and live a new way of life, totally transformed and filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live differently. It's a radical transformation. It's a massive change. Our whole humanity is actually revolutionised in Jesus. So here's two things that we can take away. First is the challenge that if you're someone who's a follower of Jesus is to actually live as if this is the case. You know, sometimes people say, I look at Christians and they don't seem any different to the rest of people. And sadly, that's sometimes true. But if we are actually in Christ, if we don't face condemnation and if we have God's spirit working in us, we should be massively different. And we should think about our identity massively different to other people. The trouble is, I think, that we often forget and we just go with the flow and do what everyone else is doing. And we need to remind ourselves of who we are each and every day. Sounds corny, but to actually look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and say, I am in Christ and I am perfectly safe because Jesus has dealt with my sin. God's spirit is living with me. As I'm about to go to school today, as I'm about to go to work today, whatever I'm facing today, God's spirit is at work in me to help me today and to transform the way that I'm going to live. If you name that, that'll make a massive difference to the day that you're going to live and ask for God's power as you go out into the day. The second thing that I want to say is that knowing that you are in Christ, if you're someone who follows Jesus and is in him, that is such a secure foundation to face life with, right? Life has its ups and downs. I don't know how your life's going at the moment, whether things are going well or going badly, but, you know, we can be going along really well. Friendships are great. Um, Relationships are good. Uh, School's going well or work's going well. And it just seems like life's fantastic. And then we can have this real downer where, you know, someone's giving us a hard time or bullying us or relationship breakdown's happening. Um, And it can be the pits. Life can be like this huge roller coaster that goes up and down. And if our sense of worth and value is hooked with how life is going, then our sense of value and worth just goes up and down. We're riding it all the time. But if we know that we belong to Jesus, that we are in Jesus, 
that secure and safe place, then we can face the ups and downs of life with far more certainty and security, knowing that our worth comes through our relationship with Jesus and what he has done for us, rather than what life is throwing at us today or tomorrow. It doesn't mean that life's going to be easy and you won't have those bumps. It does mean that your worth and your value and your security is fixed and set because it's in Jesus and what he has done rather than what life is throwing you at you at that moment. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was a triple jumper uh, at the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, right? Edwards had been, he, he dominated the sport for the last five years. He held the world record. He'd won pretty much everything that you could win, except he'd never won the gold at the Olympics. 1996 Olympics, he'd had a shocker of a day. He'd stuffed it up and he didn't win. And the 2000 Olympics was his last chance to win that coveted gold medal. Now, sports psychologists would say, what you've got to do is you've got to picture success. Right? Imagine yourself running down, making the perfect um, jump. Picture yourself sailing and landing in the sand and then picture yourself standing on the podium with a gold medal around your neck. But Edwards didn't do that. Instead, he pictured what it would be like to fail. He was someone who was a committed follower of Jesus and he said to himself, what would it mean if I didn't win gold? And he said, you know what? My worth and my value is not going to come from that gold medal. My worth and my value comes from Jesus and my relationship with him. And even if I don't win gold, it doesn't change my importance or my value before God and in Jesus. And freed from fear of failure, because ultimately it didn't matter, in terms of his identity, he outjumped all of the competition and he did win gold. But it was a different mindset. I am in Christ Jesus. God's spirit is working within me. That is where my value comes from. That what make, what's makes me who I am. That is the most important thing about my identity. And so I'm free to actually live out life freely I'm free to face the ups and downs, whatever may come, in Christ Jesus and in the firm foundation and the security of being in him. Is that something that you know in your life? That security, that certainty, that sense of your utter value in Jesus? Do you know God's spirit at work in your life, changing you, transforming you, helping you to be Truly human, following after the pattern of Jesus, the perfect human. That is fundamentally what it means to be in Christ and to have our identity in him. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your deep love for us. We thank you that you lived and died in order to deal with our sin and failures. We thank you that you offer us full forgiveness and no condemnation in you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you want to take up residence in our hearts and that you want to change us. You want to make us more and more the people that you created us to be. 
So we do pray, fill us, Holy Spirit. Change us and transform us. Do a a transformation in each of us from the inside out so that we might more and more be living lives full of beauty and truth, following after Jesus himself. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm. 